Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 6. My title is Mission Possible, His Mission in Our World, His Mission, Your World. Mark chapter 6, we actually have the beginning of Christian mission in this chapter. It starts out kind of feel, feeble and frail and marvelous and wonderful. Um, it reminds me of our psalm today. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Jesus is commissioning his followers, the disciples, to go out on the first Christian mission without him. You guys go out, two by two. And you can imagine, honestly, if you've ever, I don't know, in your life, I hope you've done that, gone like, trying to go around door to door, knocking on doors, uh, asking people maybe to come to church or their relationship with God. It's, it's fearful. It's uncomfortable. It's unnatural. It feels uh, weird. Uh, and these guys are going out. I'm sure there may have been some t- fear and trembling and perhaps even tears. And they sowed faithfully. Uh, and guess what? We're here because they were faithful. Uh, here, Monterey, California, United States, they had no idea we even existed uh, as a nation. We didn't exist as a nation, of course, uh, at that time. Uh, but And then the, the, their faithfulness really spread throughout the whole globe because they went out in obedience to Jesus, carrying the good news, and they, they rejoice with great shouts of joy. Look what God has done. Uh, and in heaven there will be uh, millions upon millions and billions of souls gathered together, worshiping together, and all because Jesus and his mission and his commission of his followers. So it's kind of an exciting uh, start of the great mission that we are all called to. Let me read the text. I'm looking at Mark 6, verse 7 through 13. It's always our habit just to read the scripture and try to understand what it's saying and what it's saying to us. This is uh, Mark 6, 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Amen. God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, we prayed a lot. We believe in prayer. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and through him alone, and resting and trusting in his 
righteousness, uh, his completed work. And we come to you in his name and ask you that you'd open up this word to us, O oh Lord. Teach each of us, challenge each of us. Help us to hear your call on our life. Send us out, we pray, through Jesus alone. Amen. So today we're going to look at this and, and work our way through it. We have, first of all, this sent. He sent them. I'm going to break it up into three parts for us today, as usual. Uh, the idea of being sent, it says he called the twelve and began to send them out. Mark likes that grammar. He uses that phrase quite a bit. He began to do something. Uh, he didn't just do it because that was something he liked to say. It, it, it indicates a, uh, an attitude of Jesus toward his disciples and, and really an attitude toward this thing that he's doing. He's beginning a process. We talked about the Schottenbergs in Madagascar. At some point, we, we helped send them out. We've been faithfully supporting their ministry be, before he was actually born. We supported his parents, who were missionaries in Madagascar, which is one of the poorest nations in the world. Um, and uh, by the way, also be praying for the Hodges. Uh, my, obviously, my daughter, I would say sister, my daughter, and son-in-law. They're in Kuala Lumpur right now. They flew there. We have their three girls in our charge. They took David with them. Uh, they're looking for God's call and direction. They've been missionaries in Indonesia, and they're thinking that Lord might be leading them to uh, Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur uh, particularly. So what I'm saying is Jesus began a process here. This is like the very, very incipient, wonderful, cool beginnings that's happened over and over and over and over again. And Jesus continues to send. We really need to think about our relationship with Jesus as a, a mission. We're here on his mission. This church exists as a missionary effort. Uh, why does he call us to himself? So that we'll serve him. We'll be his ambassadors uh, in this world. So he begins to send them out. And the word there, send, is we get our word apostle. Uh, and the apostles were these 12 specific guys with, with real big power. And God also revealed to them the Holy Scriptures. And there's only 12 actual apostles. But when we send out, you know, Jamie and Alyssa to Madagascar, they're, they're sent out to represent Jesus Christ there. Uh, they're sent in an apostolic manner. And notice also at the end of the verse, it says, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? He gave them authority. Uh, doesn't that remind you of the very end of uh, the book of Matthew? Just turn uh, back in your Bible a couple of pages. You'll come to the first book in uh, the New Testament. And the very, very last part of it, it says this, uh, now, verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he, 
excuse me, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, I love this whole text. I'm not preaching it today, but it's just fantastic. These are Jewish boys who would never fall down to a human being and worship him. That's, that's anathema. I mean, it's, it's basically a capital crime. You could, you could be killed for this. But they know Jesus is fully man and fully God. So they, they're worshiping Jesus. They've done this before. Uh, uh, you know, like two or three years ago, they started doing this. Verse 17, they worship Jesus. He's fully God, fully man. And notice it also says, but some doubt it. You know, is it okay to be a disciple and not be 1,000% convinced all the time? Yes. Even, even the original 11 said, wow, is this, how can this all be true? I mean, I believe it, but I have some intellectual challenge here. Uh, and that's okay. That's okay. You're you know, in good company. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the highest authority. God the Father has invested in God the Son all authority. So when he sends out the 12 earlier on, you know, again, two years before that or a year and a half or something before the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, it's about authority. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. This, this says so much about the context. It says they're going out into a world that's dirty. It's filled with enemies. It's filled with demons. And this is, a, this is what you would call a, uh, what do you call that? Uh, a judgment, isn't it? They're being judgmental. <laughs> they're being discerning. Uh, they're they're going to be going out there and saying there are things out there that are evil. Right? Uh, see, the interesting thing about our American culture is we want to remove that whole concept of evil. There, there really is nothing wrong. It's just, you know, that's good for you and good for you. But God has authority. He determines what's right and wrong. And he determines that there are unclean spirits. Uh, there are uh, spirits that are dangerous and they need to be uh, cast out. So we go out with this authority and with this discernment. And in a sense, yes, we're judgmental. We have to call, be, be judging back and forth. But let's back up and look at the means here. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. Two by two. And I think they probably felt a little bit more like this. You know, two little guys walking down a dirt road like, do we really know what we're doing here? I hope you know what you're doing. Who's going to talk first? Who, who, you know, are you going to knock on the door first? Because I don't really want to. I'll stand on the sidewalk and, and I'll watch you do this. Uh, probably a little, I don't know if you've been in that situation, but I have been in that situation several times. It's actually really healthy. And sometimes we'll invite you to be a part of that too. Take a door hanger and go and hang it on a door, perhaps. We've done that many times here. Why two by two? Why two by two? Why should we do ministry effort in a team effort? Um, I think, first of all, I, the issues I've already indicated is courage. Uh, honestly, if you send one person out uh, to do a job 
he might just get there and say, well, you know what? I think I'll just have another cup of tea for a while. You know, I'll think this over. I'll plan my strategy. <laughs> you know, Jesus has called me to obey, but I think I'll pray about it. You know, I'll pray about this, Lord. But uh, just the, the having somebody else there, there's that courage. Be courageous. We're going to do this thing, right? Yeah, I'm here with you. We're going to do this together. I, I know there's a term uh, in the military, they call it battle buddies. Um, and I think the idea is this, that it's just better to have somebody that you're with so that you hold each other uh, together in courage and, and in other issues. You know, God actually said, what did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. It's a very, very, very old principle of reality. Human beings are, we're made to be social. Uh, and however that works, you know, we, we should have people in our lives. That's actually a part of a church, a local church. So many people, I hear this all the time, uh, I get my church through television, you know. And today I watched, you know, these top-named preachers, and I go, oh, yeah, well, I don't blame you. <laughs> They're pretty good preachers. <laughs> but, but because I watched that television set, or I got it through the Internet, um, I don't have to go to church. You know what? But you're alone, and it's not right. It's not good. Jesus sent him them out two by two. So there's courage, and then a, a word based on courage, of course, is encouragement. Uh, there's that factor, too. I'm here with you. Be, be courageous, and uh, this is scary, and you did fine. And I thought you were doing great there when you preached that way. Uh, and that, of course, all it all centers around this word, accountability. Uh, you have somebody to whom you are accountable when you have a battle buddy, when you have a ministry partner. It's so helpful to have a partnership in ministry. Okay, so let's look at the text. And he called the 12. It's kind of handy that he had 12, isn't it? Didn't have 13 or 11, he had 12. So we have 16s. Again, this is the whole start of the Christian faith. <laughs> Jesus and, and six teams change, change the world uh, for eternity. Fantastic. Uh, send out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirit. So they're there representing Jesus. They, they speak in the name of Jesus. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. And an ambassador accurately represents his home country. Or he gets fired. Uh, and he's not there on his own authority. He doesn't represent himself. He represents his home country. Maybe the United States of America. We represent Jesus. And that's how we can be discerning. Now, God says this is an unclean spirit. That's what makes it an unclean spirit. Not my personal culture. Not my taste. It's not me. It's not the Baptist philosophy. I was reading an old letter. I went was cleaning out my office. Still doing it, but uh, cleaning out my office. Found an old letter of a guy who had visited our church for a long time, and then he wrote me a letter why he wouldn't continue. And he says, "And I, 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 I take these things to heart. I seriously think about it." He says, "It seems like all your sermons are saying why the Baptist point of view is the right point of view." And so I'm thinking, "Ah, oh, no." No, 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 I'm not talking about the Baptist point of view. What I'm trying to do here is talk about what God says. 
God's point of view. They have God's authority representing God. And that's that whole deal about giving them authority over unclean spirits. Okay. Now, the next phrase is very interesting. He charged them to take nothing for their journey. This is a short-term mission. It's a short-term journey. Uh, in fact, it may have been just two or three weeks uh, they're going to go out on this journey. But he wants to set the principle of trust. Uh, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. This is kind of a funny list. Jesus probably sent out groups a few times, and there's some differences in the lists of things to do and to not do. But let's just, I'm sticking with Mark today, uh, since that's what I'm teaching. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. Okay, so you can take a, a walking stick, but no bread. You're not even taking, uh, you know, supplies. You're going to go out to a town and trust that people in that town will supply your needs. No bag, no money in their belts. It's interesting because this actually mirrors a common cultural phenomena in this era. Uh, in the Greek world, there were these tra traveling speakers. They're, they were called the cynics. And they would travel around. And their, their mark was that they would always have a staff and they would have a, a bag with money and they would have food with them. And the third thing is they always said they always had a big mouth. <laughs> so that, those were the cynics. So they're going out differently than the cynics that you're used to because they are not self-sufficient here. They're, and it says don't put on two tunics. What's that about? It's about you put on two tunics when it's going to be cold. And they're saying don't even be prepared for cold. You're going to need shelter out there. Trust the Lord for all of this, trust the Lord. So this is the American uh, idea of this. You know, take nothing for your journey. Here's the, the motorhome with the trailer. <laughs> and this isn't a motorhome. This is a family coach, <laughs> right? Take nothing for your journey. <laughs> we, have, we don't know what this is like to be that dependent on, on the Lord. And I think the Lord is clearly teaching us that there's something wonderful about being dependent on the Lord. We're way too cluttered. We can't move at all because of our clutter. Uh, this, this next slide, I have to give credit. This is actually from an Indian mystic. Okay, But <laughs> I go deeper than that, and I'm saying he's borrowing God's truth here. This is God's truth. Travel light, live light. You know, I said, this is a temporary little journey they're on. Excuse me, is this earthly life uh, permanent? The way we're living right now? It's not. Uh, we're, we're pilgrims. That's what the Bible says. We're traveling through. I'm, you know, the old song, I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this weary world. Uh, really, it's good to look at ourselves. Like, you know, we're not here forever. Uh, I'm going to try to travel light. Maybe that means lighter. <laughs> We're going to try. We got, we got a lot of weight. We got to sort it through. Travel light. Live light. Spread the light and be the light again. An Indian mystic teaching God's truth anyway. Because that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. I want you to travel light. And you're going to trust me. 
You're going to trust me to supply your needs. I can and will supply your needs. Trust the Lord for all things and even the results. Uh, Look at what happens next. He says, uh, verse 10, and he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you. See, notice those two parts. They won't receive you, and they will not listen to you. You know, they're saying, who are you? You don't have authority. Why are you invading our neighborhood with your religion? We have our own religion. How should we respond? He says, obviously, you communicate with them. You try to communicate with them. But he says, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Um, So he wants them to be dependent and trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord for their supply. Uh, God has even set this up for the gospel ministry now. Those who work in gospel ministry should be provided for by the gospel ministry, and they trust the Lord for the results of the gospel ministry. They preach the word, and it's up to God to work in people's hearts. Uh, This is about supply, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox. Uh, It's a nice way to think about a pastor, for example. (laughs) You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. This is the supply side of things. Trust God for his provision. And it says the laborer deserves his wages. When you go out to preach the gospel, God will provide Those to whom you are speaking will provide your needs, as he says to these folks uh, in this day. Uh, I don't know if you've had this opportunity, but I've seen this happen in India. They still thresh their grains by having the animals walk over the grains. That's what's happening here. They're crushing. And notice these oxen aren't muzzled. If they're hungry, they can bend down and eat some of the grain uh, on on the road, I mean, on that... uh, hard place where they're threshing. And he's saying, God will provide your needs. And as you work, he will provide. And we trust him for the results, which is the shake off the dust off your feet. Shake the dust off your feet routine. Think about this. What is this about? Well, first of all, again, let's be cautious here. We we shouldn't do this after, you know, like one 10-minute conversation uh, with somebody. in other words, we want to be persistent and reaching out to people over the long haul. And many of us have seen fantastic results over the long haul. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. God works in marvelous ways that way. We should always pray and not give up. But here they are preaching the, the uh, gospel out there. And people won't receive them and they won't listen to them. So he says, shake off the dust. And the, the actual words of Jesus are, shake off the dust that is on your feet, as a testimony against them. Now, the tradition here is from a Jewish background. Is when you say, well, say you walk through a town uh, that is a Gentile town, which most Jews wouldn't do anyway, but let's say you did that. Uh, as you leave the town, you want to get that, that dust, that unclean dust off your sandals. You don't want to carry that with you. It's like, this is yours. This is your dust. You keep your dust. <laughs> And that's what Jesus is saying. This is your decision. 
You have made your choice to not listen to us, and you're going to have to live with that. And, and there's a sense, again, of, of decision there. There's a sense of uh, authority to say that if you do not listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will live with your mistake. You, we're inviting you to come, but we can't force you to do this. And if you do not come, it's your choice. Your choice. But And that's why he says, as a testimony against them. But I also think there's another aspect to it, too. And it's very kind of healthy for us. And that is, let's not carry with us the failures of our previous attempts. <laughs> uh, well, last time I went into the city and they wouldn't receive me and they wouldn't listen to me. And all I can think about is how hard that was and how difficult that was. And he says, no, get rid of that stuff in the past. Uh, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. There's a beautiful, wonderful forgetfulness. i got to let that go. Uh, I've got to let that go and obey God and, and move on so that I can obey him in the future. Don't regret. So there's this two aspects to this. As we go into opportunities to speak to people, what we're saying is, is deadly serious. Uh, if they don't receive, we don't know their future. Uh, they don't know their future. But this is an opportunity of light, of coming to Christ, of coming to faith. Um, notice what they said. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, I was going to get to their message, but I won't, we'll, we'll say that in a minute. <laughs> um, but it's an, it's an opportunity for people. And if they don't take the opportunity, that's on them. And they will forever live with that choice. It's deadly serious. This is not an option. This is not a, a personal preference. This is not personal choice or uh, my own truth. This is God's great big truth. So finally, though, in this text is they, they actually did go out. And the words here are just wonderful. It says, so they went out. <laughs> and there's something so powerful about that. Uh, I think you and I, as I've already indicated, we should be just very thankful for this. They were obedient. They did this difficult thing. And they, they apostles, uh, missionaries, teachers, preachers, all of these generations of, of folks, they have obeyed and again and again gone out, gone out, obeyed. It's up for us to continue to go out, to take the word and to do what God wants us to do, not just to wait, but to go and do it now. Nike says, just do it. And that's, that's what they should do. Do this. God's putting it on your heart. Do it. He wants you to obey him. So they went out, and then, I, of course, I like the next word, too. And they proclaimed. It's one of my favorite words. It's keruso in Greek. Uh, what is keruso another word for? Remember? Yeah, that's right. Mumble quietly. Very good. <laughs> no, no, it's the word for preach. Okay. What's the, what does keruso mean? Preach. That was okay, but one more time. What does Caruso mean? Preach. Now, again, this is countercultural in our world. We, 
You know, we don't like preachers. Just because you're preaching, I don't like you. Uh, but nonetheless, Jesus has commanded us to proclaim. There's a power in this. I'm not suggesting. I'm not sharing a, a thought I had. I, I have a thought on my heart I want to share with you. Uh, no, they're proclaiming the authority of Jesus. This is huge. It's a whole different point of view. I'm not here to share my experience. I'm here to proclaim to you that God is calling you to repent. And this is a completely different point of view. What is the gospel? The, the good news is that there's a way of salvation and it calls us to turn to Jesus completely. And that turning to him is the, the word repent. You come to Jesus. He's the Savior. Uh, so that's the last phrase in our verse, that people should repent. That people should repent. Now, think about this for a little bit. In, uh, I think it's Matthew and Luke, Jesus says, you guys are going out to the Jews at this point. They're not preaching to the Gentiles. They're going out to the Jews. Uh, and almost all of these Jews were religious folks. On, on Friday night, they would go to synagogue. They would keep all the Passover, all of the feasts. May I say, religiously? <laughs> they were hugely religious. And generally, by and large, they were nice people. Um, they were the kind of people you want as neighbors. They're moral and upstanding to a great extent. You know, generally speaking, <laughs> there's some rascals and bad guys. So, the message to them is to re repent? What is he talking about? Well, as we know, the big message of the gospel is, for them and for all of us, is to, to repent of the idea that we are self-sufficient. That if we work hard enough, God's going to be pleased with us. And for the Jews, they had to repent of the idea that they could keep the law. They were, they were actually keeping the law. And Jesus is teaching them, no, you are not keeping the law. And you know it. Right, well, as, as the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, you realize you are unholy. And you're so, we, we are so radically unholy. We need the perfect God, the Son of God, that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. We sang in a nice little, Thou my God should die for me, which is beautiful, but let's not lose the impact as we sway away to a beautiful old hymn that I've loved my whole life, still love today. But you get my point, right? <laughs> One of my favorite words in the, in the Word of God, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the way they used the word Lord, it had Septuagintal overtones. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, every time you come to Yahweh, you have Koreas, Lord. And so it's this area, well, when we were, we're proclaiming the death of Yahweh. God died? I mean, it almost sounds heretical, but it's not. 
That's the cost of our salvation. Jesus didn't stop becoming being God the moment he died and the human part of him died and God came back into him later. All kinds of wackos made those sort of theories because they couldn't face the reality that what does it take for, for Nathan Rand to be saved? You know, it takes the, the death of God, the resurrection of God. I, and again, this is the great mystery. I don't exclaim, I don't proclaim to know it, but I proclaim it anyway. And so as they go out into this Jewish community, they're saying to you good people with your own religion, you need to repent of the idea that you can save yourself and you're really not that bad. You got to need to repent of the idea that you're really not that bad. You know, because you are that bad. I am that bad. That's the dark side of the good news. Why do we need such a massive provision of salvation? It's because of our inherent evil. We are born sinners. We're born desperately unholy. And we should repent. And that is the glorious gospel. They proclaimed that people should repent. And notice that they're given great results. It says, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil. By the way, that's the only place in the Gospels where they anointed people with oil uh, for healing. It's kind of cool that Mark puts that in there. They anointed many with oil uh, who were sick and healed them. So God worked these fantastic miracles through the disciples. You know, it's noon, and maybe some other time we'll open that up, <laughs> that up uh, another time. Another, what I'm saying is, why don't we see these sort of miracles now? It's a beautiful topic to think about. Uh, one thing is that God certainly can and does do amazing miracles, uh, even now. Uh, you see this in other contexts more readily. But by and large, God did these massive, wonderful signs and miracles to support the message in that very first generation. And that's exactly what we see going on here. They were given great results. So, let's sum up. This is what I've been trying to say. Mission possible. We can, we can do this through the whole work of the Holy Spirit, through uh, God's strength in our lives. And his mission is our, our world, your world. Sent in teams. Don't do this alone. Be a part of a team going out. Secondly, trust the Lord for everything. And in this, this text, it seems to be supply and results. The Lord will supply as he opens the door for us. And we trust the results to him. We can't manipulate and make the results. We trust him with the results. And then finally, just obey. You know, do it. Um, you remember just a few weeks ago, we had that couple, Krista and Preston, uh, who are, they've been for 10 years now, missionaries, full-time, living in China. Now, how cool is that? They lived uh, eight years in Be Beijing. And what was their mission? Their mission is they... Uh, teach English to Chinese school teachers, uh, like elementary, high school age uh, teachers come to the university to learn English, because everybody wants to learn English uh, in, in China. And 
and they, the way they do it is, okay, let's open the Bible. Uh, you know, it's used in uh, English a lot, so let's read the Bible together. And so it's not directly. They're not, they're, they're proclaiming, they're preaching, but in a, in a very careful way, absolutely. But the Lord has opened up many doors, and many have come to Christ, and the gospel has been spread. And my point is this. They were just here. They were part of our church, just sitting in the pew. And they said, well, we're going to do this. We're going to go. We're going to obey. You know, they didn't pack up the motorhome with, with the trailer. <laughs> they went with, a, a, you know, a staff and no bag and no money. And God has provided their needs all the time. In fact, our church has tried to reach out and support them several times. And they say, I'm sorry, we're at full support. <laughs> Many years we've tried to support them and they, they have full support. You know, God provides. Uh, so uh, let us believe and trust in him. So what an exciting part, what an exciting start to our Christian faith. Because of their obedience, the gospel is spread, and we can say hallelujah for salvation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us to hear the word that you give us this day. Lord, they, they proclaimed that people should repent, and we know that they were proclaiming that people needed to turn fully to Jesus, to turn away from whatever else they were trusting. And, and they would, we, we tend to diminish our problem. We think, we, we don't need that. We're not that bad. Uh, but you, O oh Father, have evaluated us and judged us and found us to be wanting, found us to be in moral debt to you because we have sinned and you've, you've made a, a way, you've provided a way for our salvation. So, Lord, open our hearts to this and help us to rejoice in it and help us to proclaim it in your power and authority. Through Jesus, amen.